Hey, just a quick apology for the audio quality of this episode. We had a bunch of new microphones and new technology and new hosts, and altogether there were a few obstacles we had to overcome. It's still pretty audible and clear, and we didn't lose any content, but just be aware. Thank you. This is The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about eternal damnation. Hello, I'm Jamin. And I'm Victoria. And I'm Jacob. So did anybody bring anything for the party tonight? I did. I brought a delicious and very boozy drink called L.A. Water. Is that a thing? It's a thing. Turns out it is based on the L.A. River. Um, which... I, I was so afraid you were going to say that. Please don't do the <laughs> L.A. River. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine this having intoxicating qualities, but... Yes, and given the history of L.A. as the home of modern-day vampires and a place where there's multiple hell mouths, it contains vodka, gin, tequila, rum, triple sec, sweet and sour, <laughs> melon liqueur, raspberry liqueur, and blue curacao. So it's this like weird blue-green just amalgam sounds, of liquor just like a just big like, just like the la river exactly sounds, sounds exactly kind of nice almost uh-huh i think i like the yeah i think it's probably delicious for about a minute and then you black out yeah and then you fall over yeah, right. that's right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably some weeping there's probably some weeping so yeah well i was kind of hungry and i've been thinking about omelets all week mm. and i don't know if you knew this there's an ostrich farm up in round rock no. no, I did not know this. Why are we not there right now? And long story short, I made only one omelet, but I hope you're having seconds. There's just so much of it. <laughs> oh, now here's a thought. Sometimes you get that one egg that like has gone over and become part chick with an ostrich omelet. That'd be really horrifying. <laughs> Isn't it? What is it? The uh, next balut. generation? Yeah. <laughs> Ostrich balut. Oh my gosh. I need to make this happen. How do you make it happen? Well, when a mommy ostrich and a daddy ostrich. (laughs) (laughs) They're very much in love and they take a special nap. Yes. Well, I brought the entertainment, um, which this week is being frozen to the waist in a lake of fire. Mm. It's a thinker, I think. (laughs) So little, little book review for me this week. I have a new book. It's called Hell and Damnation by Mark de Villiers. Villiers? Villiers? V-I-L-L-I-E-R-S. I have good news and bad news. It's perfect. What's the good news? Uh, we can stop recording. <laughs> I mean, we, sh- we should just go home. Uh, otherwise, everything is going to sound like it's plagiarism after this point. So anyway, really good book. It's red, too, and has a devil on the cover. And maybe this is just 
but because I, I clearly think about drinking a lot, but it looked to me like a Mr. Boston cocktail guide, but with, but satanic. Yeah, I think it has that look. Very exciting. Like, well, that guy does travel guides. So I think maybe it's kind of partakes of that style. He does in the preamble, he says, you know, usually I have a, I base these guides on places where people have been. And so I really can't do that. But I have the places where poets have been. So maybe I can. Today, I learned who Mr. Boston was. Oh, yeah, the bartender guy. Hello, Google. <laughs> wow, that's that's exciting. This is I feel special. And I, you know, Jacob, you just brought up an interesting thing that I was, I had been, I had like on my notes today was hell tourism. No, that should be more of a thing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I have a book on order that's a tourist guide to hell, but I think it's about lizard aliens. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I'd want to pay to go to hell. I mean, I feel the same way about cruise ships, so I might not be, you know, completely with everybody. There is a precedent for it. This was floated in the 700s as being one of the great joys of heaven. And I also think it'd be a really great name for a kitten. Abominable Fancy. I know, it'd be really cute. Um, Abominable Fancy was a doctrine that one of the great joys in heaven was watching the the damned suffer. That seems very Victorian. I can see elements of it. It definitely predates. Like, this was a liturgical thing before the thousands. But I do think it kind of qualifies as hell tourism because, you know, well, like, you used to go to the Bedlam and things like that, like you said in the Victorian era. Exactly. Or Georgian, some time ago. Multiple, right? Potentially. Yeah, no, it spans some spans some time. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll look this up in the show notes. I hadn't thought it would be relevant. <laughs> that's, that's too much schadenfreude for me. Okay. So this week we're going to be wrapping up our talk on the rivers of hell and the rivers of the underworld. So let's go. Kind of a throwback to the, the big five rivers we were talking about earlier. Did you see the article I linked about the Lego rivers of hell? Yes. That's, <laughs> I love that. I, it's really beautiful. Um, this is by a, uh, a group that does Lego work in Europe somewhere, but they've got these kind of gritty, gray, grimy, almost diesel punk looking constructions of the Acheron and the Piriflegathon and others. And what, like the Piriflegathon has these kind of skull like risers over it with little industrial smokestacks on top belching out smoke. And you can kind of see a very industrial looking Kerberos in the corner. It's really neat looking stuff. And I just love the Dante slash anime intersection that it really uses. It also reminds me very much of Barlow's Inferno, which I want to talk about later on, this kind of lightly abstract hell from an artist that specializes in fantasy work and interesting textures. (laughs) Very grim bio horror looking stuff. So they're so cute, actually. (laughs) No, yeah, I like them a lot. So the River Slith, I'm going to go somewhere with this one, but I'm not very far because I don't really understand it. Uh, Slith turns up in Tundel. It's the name of one of the rivers that you encounter in his version of the underworld. But it's from the Norse underworld where they have about 37 underworld rivers, which I do not have a list of and don't want to list anyway because that's too many. And the Slith probably eats a lot of the mythology of the sticks because it's a river that you swear oaths on and it's poisonous, etc., etc. But... It flows near or around another river called the the Jol, I guess, G-J-O-L-L. Sure. It, yeah. It, does it have a diuresis or is it just an O? What's a diuresis? The two dots. That's not an umlaut? Wait, it might be an umlaut. Diuresis. 
Well, okay. I'll look that one up later on, but Joel, we'll call it Joel for now. It could, um, it could be Joel. So the Joel flows down to the island that the Fenris wolf lives on, apparently, and kind of forks on either side of that. But there's another river called the Val, and I'm going down this road because I think this is funny. The Val is, in some versions, a river that flows out of Fenris's mouth. Hmm. So mm-hmm. one of their rivers of hell is a river of dog drool. <laughs> mm, mm. Which sounds pretty mm. horrible, actually. Icky. It, it's interesting because, like you say, things steal from the steaks. Well, everything steals from. But the whole, the Norse concept of like the the etir, the poisonous drop. They've had Oceanus. They had this etir. It's this poisonous, foul fluid from which everything sprang forth, you know good people, bad people, gods, demons. And it's this bitter, poisonous substance, which you then use in terms of swearing oaths on. It's like, oh, there's definitely analogs here. Yeah. But where would you find this in real life? Well, I know that we need to spend some fair amount of time on Norse hell because that's where the word comes from. And so, yeah, rivers as a concept, there's a lot of underworlds. There's uh, Greek underworlds and Roman underworlds. There's uh, Eurasian underworlds. There's Vietnamese underworlds. Okay. And a large, <laughs> a large number of these have rivers. And it's like, wait, this is a, a really common concept as an underworld thing. It's like, oh, you have an underworld or an other world and you have a river. And it's like, oh, that's, that's kind of neat. Now we've come back to um, Howard Patch, the guy who said that every major other world has a mountain, a garden, and a river, and kind of the bridge over it as well. Like, that's just kind of an important part of any other world is the river boundary. That does make sense, because thinking back, it's like, okay, rivers were more of a boundary than a venue. Yeah, I think he's probably stealing mostly from the Gilgamesh slash Babylonian mythology, because the River Huber flows in front of two giant mountains and the city of the underworld there, or just otherworld or whatever. I am right now, briefly, before I lose track of things, really interested in the, the Vitarna River. And pardon me while I butcher the pronunciation of that. So this is from Hindu mythology. And I just there's so much here that kind of amazes me. So this is legit a river of hell, which I don't think the sticks deserves that title because it's just kind of an underworld tributary. Uh, if you're a really good person, uh, the Vitarna is this pleasant river flowing with nectar, kind of nice thing. And you have to cross it to get to whatever happens next. But crossing the river of nectar, you know, you bring a nice cocktail glass and you're probably fine. But if you were not a nice person, not good by however this is judged, the river is the banks of the kingdom of the Yama, the kind of the demon kingdom and uh, naraka it's the the hell that they live in and the river for a sinner the river is uh it's got banks made of bones and it's full of blood and pus and there's bugs and crocodiles and insects and horrible moss and seaweed there and it's smoking and flaming when you try and cross over it so what the sinner sees is very different from what the blessed person sees or the righteous person sees and that's neat in its own way but what I think is really amazing about this concept is that Hindu mythology, it's, it's a reincarnationist sort of system. And good or bad, you're going to go back on the loop and become the next you, and I guess, strive upwards. But to do this as a reprobate, as a, a bad person, you have to first cross this river, this horrible river of horrible, the Vaitarna, 
and then you're only crossing that to get to where you're going to be tortured for enough time to be cleansed of your sins. So you have to choose to send yourself to hell to redeem yourself. And like from a therapy perspective, that's really amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the incredibly itemized little compartments of suffering in Naraka, which are just amazing. And I could spend days talking on just that, but I won't right now because this is about rivers. Yay. One thing about the, the Vitarna, the <clears throat> Vitarna, it takes effort to cross it. Yeah. You have to sacrifice a cow, do a thing, um, have a leader that takes you across. And if you can't cross the river on your own, you're stuck until someone helps you across or the, the Yama, the, the, the subjects of the Yama, whoever he, she, it, they are, drags you across, which yeah. is probably less pleasant than doing it on your own. It's like you actually have to sit here and work. It's more than two pennies in the eye or an O-ball in the mouth. It's, it's yeah. hard work to go to hell. And some people never make it across. They're kind of held back as ghosts, but that's obviously a, a bad option. But yeah, this is a redeeming hell, not a not an eternal torment hell. So it's it's worth the trip, I think, or, or you become a ghost. I like the idea that a guru can kind of guide you across by taking your hand, because presumably he's walking on the uh, nectar side of things and helping you along while you're in the other side of the blood river. And again, that's kind of a nice like therapy image to me. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I've been struck by a lot of uses that rivers um, have been put to, not only in the underworld or the afterlife, but in the real world, because they can often be, they're both cleansing and scourging. (laughs) They're both a moment of submission or will, like you have to decide, like you have to intentionally cross or navigate a river. And there's also a sense of either regeneration or decay. Can you elaborate on that one? The regeneration, on the or decay? regeneration or decay? Yeah. I guess because, I don't know, I'm just thinking about, I, I don't know, like biblical stories of rivers, like Moses, for example, mm. um, oh, yeah. versus, you know, the river of the dead and Ganges and sort of like this, you know, effluvium of, of like decomposition that, oh. uh, so it's have kind you, of like you can have both of these and, and like rivers as givers of life. Like, oh, yes, you know, they're fresh water. So they nourish the soil unless you <laughs> you, you kill off all the, the, the critters that live in brackish water. But yeah, it nourishes, you know, the good the good critters. Right. Have you seen the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus? No, I need to see that. It's on my list. It is. It is a trip and it's a really good one. I just watched that like two days ago. So it's fresh in my mind and I didn't connect this. So this is a Terry Gilliam film. And they always play with the intersection of fantasy and reality and art and fiction and things like that. Parnassus is this 2,000-year-old character, kind of a wandering Jew-style immortal. Um, but he was originally from some monastic tradition. We kind of see his like temple way, way back then. And over and over again in the movie, we're given people that had to make the choice between heaven and hell in a sort of mythical other world, carved out of their imagination and his uh, and frequently, there's the image of like over and over again, a recurring image of people sailing down a river in a barge with a jackal head, like Anubis. Ooh. And there's one image, which thinking of what you just said and rotting and rejuvenation and decay, it starts as someone is going down a beautiful river on this barge, like 
idly dip, dipping their toe in while their lover uh, caresses their hair. But it pans back and you're in something more like the worst of the Ganges type imagery where there's like a cow, dead cow and things like that. That really kind of catches that idea of Vainarta, of this river that could be both at the same time. And it's totally depending on who's looking at it. Mm. But this is also a very underworld river sort of thing, too. So it really kind of catches a lot of these things at once. There's even an image of the river rising up as Apep or Set, whatever the Egyptian bad thing is. Oh, I can't recall. But it's true. I mean, and, and I completely left out the most important use of a river in our world in Christianity is baptism. Yeah. Because mm. the clean, like flowing water. So you're, you know, if the flowing water takes away your sins. And just uh, thinking about symbolism of rivers and spirituals and um, in the Underground Railroad, like this emancipation angle. But you've also made me think of the River of Chocolate and Willy Wonka. A very important, yes. Which is kind of like both, like the Ganges. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, and those are those stories are based on the German folk tradition of Struhlpeter and like right. destroying children's lives with torment. And some of them actually have stories about going directly to hell because of the bad things you did. So maybe that's there. Maybe that's the river of Slith in this case. Is it time to word drop liminal? Sure. I love I love that word liminal, liminal states. That's kind of the word for transitional periods and places. And uh, the river as a boundary between who you were in your old life and who you are in your new life as a baptism symbol. That is a very liminal moment, a very transitional moment. Also, um, rivers where you get rid of things that you don't want anymore. You know, all of these uh, Appalachian folk tunes about, you know, dumping, dumping things in a river. See also New Jersey Superfund. <laughs> well, see also, there's a really neat Japanese holiday. Uh, it's, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Harikoyo. This is the Festival of Broken Needles. And the idea is that I mean, everything has kind of a spirit in sort of Shinto animistic religion, particularly things that have worked long and hard for you. And a needle is something that's died serving you. And that's a very sad thing. So the, the needles are put on little beds of tofu and floated down a river to their own little afterlifes. And that's just kind of beautiful. First, I instantly went to like syringe needle, but you're talking about sewing needles. Definitely talking about sewing needles. Yes. Okay. That's, that's much, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if anime's got to the point where they, there's like cute little syringes, possibly. Whoa. I don't know about that. I'm, I'm uncomfortable here. Actually, I can't find reference to floating needles down a river on tofu. So maybe that's from another book. I don't know. I'm only looking at Wikipedia right now. But it's a neat image. I love that. And possibly irrelevant. No. Uh, Sanzu, the Sanzu River, or Sanzu no Kawa, uh, the River of Three Crossings. So this is the one where you cross over it and you have to pay a toll of six mon, which I think we've alluded to before, which I don't know. It sounds like it's $1.35. I really don't know. But these are coins tossed in the casket of the dead by loved ones. So again, you're kind of buying your transition there. And there's a lot of puns. Like this is kind of a yokai territory where the names become the meaning and the meaning becomes the names of spirits. But as you cross over the River of Three Crossings, depending on how nice you were, there's either a bridge or a narrow little gap that you can cross over or a very wide crossing over this river filled with serpents. And so there's your kind of element of the judging of the dead there. But there's either a god or 
goddess or hag whose name is Datsuba, which basically means taking off your clothes or something along those lines. And she will come and steal your clothes if you are crossing, particularly if you're crossing not by bridge, but by boat or the fjord or the, the serpent way. And if you do not have clothes, she will just take your skin. So that's okay. But um, in a part of this, she judges the dead by how much uh, weight your clothes have there. So like how much do your clothes weigh down her trees? Uh, she can judge you by that or your skin, I guess, too. This is a little bit of a, not really, but this also is part of the book, The Third Policeman by Flann O'Brien in that to enter hell, like you're weighed when you both enter and leave the afterlife. Huh. Enter and leave. Mm hmm. Interesting. Because you don't want it because the, the after in this book, like you can gain, you can wish for anything you want there, but you have to leave it behind when you come back. Oh, so this is like a fairyland or like a real land of the dead. It's unclear. Oh, okay. Well, that kind of ties into the Egyptian uh, mythology where your heart is weighed and fed to the soul devourer, which sounds a little more final than whatever's going on in, in Flannery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I strongly recommend that book, but also the, all of the experiments to weigh the soul. I oh, think gosh. in the yes, the early twenty. I guess in the early twentieth century, there were a lot of experiments to weigh the soul. It was the the enough iron to make a nail and two buckets of water, right? Uh, was that the weight of the soul? Well, that was what was left of the body. Nineteen. Oh. 1907, the 21 grams experiment. Yes, uh, exactly. Haverhill, Massachusetts, yep. Duncan McDougall. Exactly. Souls, souls have weight, and that weight is 21 grams. Interesting. I don't know if that ties into Egyptian mythology, but it does kind of resemble that. Yeah, neat. The Sun's River story says that lightness is something that you desire to move into the land of the dead, and you have to shed your past, and you have to shed your clothes, or be aggressively shed for you by this kind of impish yokai. They also torture people were bad or good, depending. They torture kids, too. It's, Japanese yokai stories have this element of horror that you can't really escape from, whether you're good or bad. Hmm, I can dig that. Deep. This was such a big tie-in to the concept of lightness and entering the underworld, and particularly clothing and entering the underworld, that I wanted to break into insert it because it's one of the first stories. One of the best-known Babylonian myths, Ishtar is a prideful goddess queen, and she wants to go down to the underworld to, I think, visit her sister. And at first, she's very demanding. Here, gatekeeper, open your gate for me. If you do not open the gate for me, I will come in and smash the doorpost and overturn the doors and raise up the dead so they eat the living. And her sister, who is the queen of the dead, justifiably gets a little bit pissy about this, so she makes Ishtar go through seven gates, and each time she loses a garment and some pride... Uh, her crown, then earrings, then necklaces, then a brooch, a jeweled belt, and bracelets, and then all of her jewelry, and then her robes. And each time there's this ritual formula. Gatekeeper, why have you taken away the beads around my neck? Go in, my lady. Such are the rights of the mistress of earth. Anyway, it's such a strong and ancient parallel that I really needed to make this a part of the conversation, even though it wasn't really a part of the conversation. Beep. Japanese yokai stories are so out there you you have to take them in the frame of reference of where they are it's like you can't say this is the yokai story and i was born and raised a baptist like you you have to be aware of like the whole shintoist philosophy shintoist philosophy and the whole animist animism 
I think personally that they don't read like myth. They're, they're ghost stories. They're campfire stories, things that you tell to scare each other. A lot of them read like the ghost hitchhiker story, that sort of thing. And then this happened and there was a ritual called, I think the ritual of like blue candles or something like that, where you light a candle and tell a scary story over and over again. And then at the end of it, you summon Bloody Mary, basically that sort of style of storytelling. So it's again, it's a it's a style that doesn't really like need a canon so much because people are improvising as they're telling. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to find tomato juice in Japan. Hmm. Interesting. Because you need that to make Bloody Marys. Now she sees. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, zing! We need the wah wah wah. <laughs> so a hell of bad jokes here. let's talk about the river i'm going to just say huber it could be huber it could be huber huber does it they uh, have a uh, those are the same thing by the way i looked it up well H- but they mean different things they're ish yeah yeah h-u-b-u-r this is a river and one spelling it in english isn't even fair because we're talking it's old glyphs. old yeah it's like the the article like cites cuneiform and like you can like click the the cuneiform and you're like oh, i still don't know what's going on but this is an early 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 river now we're and, the oldest stories here yeah and there's parts of it where it's like you have to cross it seven times to get to the other world you have to fight demons you have to pay ferrymen and again the huber had a ferryman who was pronounced like and it's really neat. Oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, I couldn't even begin to figure out what that meant. It's pronounced, yeah. it, everything is pronounced chumly. Yeah. You, you don't speak cuneiform? I don't. What was his other name? It was a little bit easier. It's S-I dot L-U dot I-G-I. I, I know that. It's also Urshanabi. Hmm. Which might be a little bit easier. But yeah, that, that one with the dots and things, I assume that was like an internet typo. Hmm. It could be just modern internet memes, and it's like, see, Luigi. I know. Yeah, that's it. It looked like Luigi. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, he's Luigi? Ni- he's, he's nicer than Charon. Charon was kind of a butt, because he was like the cranky, grotty old man with a oh, like, tangled such beard. such a butt. But Ushinabi seems like he's not a bad guy. He's a teacher, a decent companion sort of thing. But yeah, he's the fairy of the underworld in Mesopotamian er, mythology. Uh, I also think there might be a, a D&D tie-in here. Because there is a, in another version, a four-winged demon carries people across the river. And that sounds like Pazuzu, mm. uh, who mm-hmm. is the uh, god of pea soup from The Exorcist. You get a <laughs> right. brief image of him. But in, <laughs> in Dungeons & Dragons, he turns up as the owner of the top level of the abyss, which is a land of portals and things like that. So he kind of has this sort of uh, psychopomp aspect too, where he flies over the land of the dead and the places to go further deeper into that world. Also, I just like saying Pazuzu. It's fun to say. It, it is. really is. Pazuzu. Mm-hmm. I, I Pazuzu. probably should, should not say that six times though, or whatever. I think we're up to four, so uh, we'll stop. Uh oh. Okay. Yeah, there's Guardian Beast. Nobody else Be- say it. There's Guardian Beasts and Psychopomps, and a lot of that could be easily carried into this this Deke's mythology. There's some suggestion that the Huber turns up in the Book of Psalms because there's a resurrection myth tied to it. Marduk would pull people out of the Huber, raising from raising them from the waters to resurrect them. So in Psalm 18, there's this song, uh, an element of God reaching down from high and taking hold of me and drawing me from the deep waters. 
some commentators suggested that might actually be the Hoover and uh, that river. And that's entirely possible because you've got this proto Ur River. Now, there's another reference in possibly Job, which if you've never read Job, don't. <laughs> You're doing OK. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, who? Like, so he turns concept- up a lot. He turns up a lot in Satanology, and because that's one of the big conversations between God and Satan is that book. Oh, Job? Yeah. Yeah, because, and this is the important part, is like somebody read Job and then summed it up for everyone else. And that's what we need. It's like, okay, Job did this, Job suffered, Job had three friends, blah, blah, blah. There is a river or a channel or a pit, and, and it's kind of this, this Ur River. Are we in the Hoover still? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The Hoover. Okay. Sorry, that kind of that sentence kind of wandered, and I wasn't sure how to respond. Kind of like a river. Yeah. So the, in Sumeria, the souls of the dead travel across this desert to get to another desert, and the other desert between these two mountains, the mountains of Kerr or, or Mount Mashu or something like that, which is in front of the gates of the netherworld. And in the middle of these deserts, they cross the Hoover River. Um, so that's, again, this kind of underworld river as, as un, like unpassable border between life and death, because to resurrect you, Marduk would pull you out of the river, but maybe not beyond the river. I don't know. There's a certain finality to these river borders that's that's important in kind of telling their stories. And that's kind of it really comes down to the river as a border and a river as a means uh, in Willy Wonka. That chocolate river is I mean, that's the plot point. You're going down the river, down the river, down the river. But when you're ancient Avestan Acadian and you come across this giant river, which Huber basically means the river. <laughs> yeah, or you know, the river. Yeah, it's un, like the symbol for underworld and the symbol for river was the same symbol set. Right. It's like, I don't know what's over there and I never will. Hmm. Probably mm-hmm. Wendigo. I regret yesterday. Yes. I regret, we all? Last, <laughs> I regret in our what? last episode not talking about the Potomoy. What the what a what? Potomoy. Because is... I, I love thought words, and this was a good one. So it's kind of like the, the spirit of a place. Like, oh, okay. Is it P-A-P-O? P-O-T-A-M. It's a river spirit is the word. I think that's what it comes from. You'd know that better than I would, Jamin. Yeah, the Potomoy is the word for river. Like, for example, the word hippopotamus is the word for river horse. Okay. Uh, right. Thank and you. So, okay. Right. And the word so, for potato hippo? is the word for river foot. No. What? That that hit me in my hippocampus. <laughs> um, oh. Sorry. Potato jokes. But the uh, going back to the conversation about the big five rivers, some of them had Potomoy. Now, the Steaks actually had a real goddess that watched over things, but her kids were Potomoy. And these are like the incarnations of the river. They're kind of the river and the goddess of the river, the river and the nymph of the river or whatever. And like there's one story of how I think the Steaks fell in love with the Phlegathon. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But the fire of the Phlegathon, Paraphlegathon burned, burned her up and Hades had to kind of resurrect them again to bring them back together. So these rivers in hell, they had identities as well. And this is an idea that turns up a lot like Hades is a place and Hades is a person, too. So these gods were kind of regions and zones and places and people all at the same time. And that's neat. Oh, but that's Sandman. I was just about to be excited about this. And then you're like, oh, but it's Sandman. Sandman is practically canon. It is. It is. And uh-huh. and this is kind of it's weird because these Potomoy, the word literally is rivers. It's not river gods, not river nymphs. It's not whatever's the person and the place 
are the same thing. It's not, I'm Jamin and I'm the goddess of my room. I, it's like, we're the same thing. Like, I am who I am. And I'll, wait, there's a Popeye line in there. <laughs> I, I am who I am. And anyway, but like, so you've got these, these Potomoy, the, the Leith and the, the Phlegathon and the Nemesine. And it's not just, oh, this is the river and we're looking at the river. And there's also some dude flouncing around in a grape leaf over there for the same thing, which kind of pulls me back to the whole Shinto thing. It's like every aspect is itself. That rock is a rock and that rock has a soul and it may not move much or talk much, but it's a person. And like you, you kind of almost think in Greek, there's this duality. Oh, I'm a dryad. I'm a dryad of that oak tree over there. Wait, is it dryad? Yeah, dryads are trees, naiads are others. And it's like, no, that dryad isn't the little green, busty girl that lives in that tree. She is the tree and the tree is her. And it's really hard to wrap your mind around because I'm, one, not Greek, and two, not a dryad. <laughs> I mean, many of us aren't these days. When I was younger. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the Potomoy is a really neat concept because some of these rivers existed kind of in greek landscapes and they, that you can go find the at least four of the big five and they had personalities mm -hmm. it seems like after the greeks though the rivers of hell concept kind of fizzles out for a while it does surface a little bit in islamic mythology where you have some references to flaming rivers in hell or rivers of pus and blood in hell that sort of thing but like so many things in the more modern Abrahamic versions of hell, it loses its definition and it loses its character and it becomes kind of generic. There is mm. not the pure phlegathon. There's just the lake of fire right. and rivers of fire. There's not a river of blood. There's just kind of the general concept of pools of the droplets from the suffering, that sort of thing, fat from the damned, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I thought I had a solid grasp of what a river was, why a river was, but then we get into like these Islamic rivers, Indian rivers, it seems like I've got a lot more to think about. Well, these are fantasies as well as, as real things, kind of this intersection of reality and, and storytelling, where the river becomes a symbol as well as a thing that water or fire or blood or other liquids flows through. Hmm. Like at, th at that point, it stops behaving like a river and starts behaving like a story. Mm -hmm. And I guess it shows the importance of rivers. Let's, let's give up on tonight. I think we've Ooh. got a lot of good content. It's a bit late and we're kind of... A little bit circling the drain. But it's been fun. We, it's no, a lazy river. It has like been fun. Bond. Yeah. So that's kind of our journey down the river or across the river or up the river. I don't know where we're going. Oh, the sticks. The sticks. I forgot to mention. One of the reasons the sticks was the river of the underworld was because the waters of the sticks would go underground and then resurface later on. And that's kind of this neat image. And there's a YouTube video of some very privileged, annoying kids doing this trip and drinking beer and laughing over the entire experience. Neither here nor there. I'm so babbling right now, so let's wrap this up. <laughs> if you ever find yourself up a river in hell without a paddle, just let go. Gravity will take you there. And uh, we will see you in hell. This podcast is copyright 2020 by The Dispatchist and is Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. 
Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.